It's Friday the 9th of December and this is the Climate Alarm Clock. Hello and welcome to this week's Climate Alarm Clock. This is your weekly Irish climate news podcast and I'm Anna Pringle. We have a different type of episode for you this week. COP15 has started in Montreal. Wait, wait, another COP I hear you say. How is that different? But this COP is focused on biodiversity. Nearly 200 countries are meeting to try to agree on a way to put the world on a path to restoring nature by the end of the decade. Here's how the Secretary-General of the UN, Antonio Gutierrez, introduced COP15. This important conference brings the world to Canada to focus on the future of humanity's relationship with nature, our life support system. We are waging a war on nature. Ecosystems have become placings of profit. Human activities are laying waste to unthriving forests, jungles, farmland, oceans, rivers, seas and lakes. Our land, water and air are poisoned by chemicals and pesticides and choked with plastics. The addiction to fossil fuels has thrown our climate into chaos. Gutierrez also said that humanity has become a weapon of mass extinction and we are treating nature like a toilet. So the stakes are very high um, for COP15 and it's seen as a chance to do for biodiversity what the Paris Agreement has done for the fight against climate change, which is hopefully start to make some significant progress. Here on the Climate Alarm Clock, we have always seen the biodiversity and climate crises as very connected. This week, instead of our usual news roundup, we're going to bring you some highlights from earlier episodes of the podcast where we focus more on biodiversity. Earlier this year, Dara spoke to two organisations in Ireland who are working very hard to protect biodiversity here, the Irish Wildlife Trust and Birdwatch Ireland. And we'll bring you highlights from those interviews shortly. But first, we're going to hear from Dr Ellen Hegarty, who set the scene very well for us by explaining what we mean by biodiversity. Here's Ellen. Broadly speaking, biodiversity refers to the variety of life on Earth. This includes everything from the diversity of genes within a species to the diversity of species within an ecosystem and the diversity of ecosystems themselves. Our planet has a range of ecosystems like forests, peatlands and deserts and it's estimated that over 8 million plant and animal species live in them. Healthy, biodiverse ecosystems are essential for life on Earth as we know it. They provide food, clean water and clean air. They cycle essential nutrients, create new soil, provide flood controls, absorb carbon and decompose dead matter. The list goes on and on. But of course nature is not static, it is complex and dynamic. Storms, floods and volcanic eruptions all affect species and ecosystems in the places they occur. And throughout human history, people have interacted with and impacted on the world around them. Healthy biodiversity makes ecosystems more resilient to these pressures. But something has changed. The speed and scale of human activities has exploded, especially since the mid-20th century. And many species and ecosystems are no longer given the time or space they need to replenish, regrow and regenerate. As a result, our planet is losing biodiversity at an unprecedented rate, 
with over a million species now threatened with extinction. The biggest driver of biodiversity loss is habitat destruction from activities like deforestation. This mostly happens to create agricultural land. Another major cause is over-exploitation, like overfishing. Pollution, invasive species and climate change also contribute to biodiversity loss. The natural world has declined so much that by weight, 96% of all mammals are either humans, livestock or pets. Wild mammals make up just 4%. It's pretty shocking. The climate and biodiversity crises are separate but connected. For example, when we cut down a forest, we remove an important habitat and also an important carbon sink. Here in Ireland, we depict ourselves as a green country of pristine environments. But this isn't really the case. Over 90% of habitats assessed here are in an unfavourable condition and over 200 species are either critically endangered or endangered. We are the most deforested country in Europe, with native woodland covering only 2% of our land surface. Unless we radically change how we view and interact with the natural world, we are in danger of losing iconic species like the curlew, corncrake and puffin. Not to mention less well-known examples like the freshwater pearl mussel, the angel shark and 30 species of bee. And their loss is our loss. By failing to protect our biodiversity, we are failing to protect ourselves. Ellen described that very well for us. Dara had a chat with Porig Fogarty of the Irish Wildlife Trust. Porig gave great insight into what's going on with biodiversity in Ireland. And if you listen to the end, you'll hear that he actually advises us to do nothing. So here's Dara's interview with Porig. Um, so Porig, I suppose if you could just start off by telling us who the Irish Wildlife Trust are and what you do. So the Irish Wildlife Trust is a, a non-governmental uh, charitable organization. We were founded in 1979. Um, and so we've been we've been around for quite a long time. And our mission, I suppose, is to raise awareness about wildlife and the importance of, of nature to people. Of course, we call it biodiversity now. We weren't using that word so much in the past, but basically that's what uh, that's what we do. For years, we talked about, you know, protecting nature and species and wildlife, and people kind of thought it was a hobby uh, that, it, you know, it was, you know, something for bird watchers and, you know, not not something particularly important. I think using the word biodiversity now, it does give it a bit more weight and it makes it a more serious topic, which, of course, it absolutely needs to be. And so when you talk about the Irish Wildlife Trust and having that role in biodiversity and protecting nature what does what does that look like what does what does the work that you do involve so we do a number of things uh we have some branches around the country so there are people out there doing uh you know outreach at a very local level doing walks and talks uh we produce a quarterly magazine uh, that our members get. We do a lot of uh, public awareness information, particularly through social media. Uh, we uh, are heavily involved in marine protected areas. Uh, we're involved in a, in a project uh, to promote that. And it was in wider campaign kind of issues, which is more my role within the organization. Um, 
we're basically trying to uh, raise the profile of the biodiversity emergency, but obviously much more than that. We're trying to uh, get people to, and the government in particular, uh, to do something about it. Okay, so when you mention a biodiversity emergency there, if I've never heard that term before, what what does that mean? Basically, it's referring to the collapse of natural ecosystems, the mass extinction of life on Earth, uh, the fact that we have pretty much erased uh, natural systems and, uh, and nature from huge parts of the world, and Ireland included. Um, and the emergency part of it is, is really, I mean, obviously it's a disaster, for all the plants and animals that are going extinct, but it's also a disaster for us because we simply cannot live uh, on a on a planet uh, while there's an extinction crisis going on, while there's a mass extinction event. Humans are very much part of nature, and so uh, we can't divorce ourselves from that um, crisis. What does that biodiversity emergency look like in Ireland? Yeah, that's a that's a good question, because people will tend to drive across Ireland and we see green fields and cows happily eating grass and uh, and we go out and we look at the sea and everything looks pretty normal. And, you know, you, you, a lot of people ask, well, what what's what's what crisis? Um, but our eyes are fooling us because we don't see uh, all the life that simply isn't there anymore. Uh, one way of, of thinking about it is that uh, Ireland is naturally a very densely forested country, but our forest uh, effectively is gone. Uh, there's you know barely 1% of our country is covered in natural forest. And yet we look at what's happening in, let's say, the Amazon or in Southeast Asia. We're completely horrified at the destruction of our forest, but we don't really realise that we have done that to our country, perhaps more than any other country in the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in dealing with these crises, these crises, then the work of the Irish Wildlife Trust, what kind of campaigns do you have ongoing at the moment that are trying to address some of these issues? Uh, so we work closely with uh, other NGOs in this area. So I would I would emphasize that because we don't do anything on our own. Uh, we we everything is a team effort. Um, but we are trying to draw attention to really what what we consider to be the very the main pressures on uh, biodiversity and natural systems in Ireland. So one of those would be the sea, for instance. I mean, we often forget uh, that we that we live on an island surrounded in in uh, an enormous ocean, and uh, the ocean really is in bad health and so overfishing which continues uh, is one of our priorities creating marine protected areas is also one of our priorities and then on land uh, 70 percent of ireland is farmed so farming is by default going to be you know the biggest uh, driver of uh, pollution and um and uh, and extinction loss. So so changing our farming system is a priority. But then there's also the areas that are not farmed, uh, such as our peatlands that I just mentioned, which are in a dreadful state, and uh, and our river systems, which are all um, pretty much damaged or polluted in some way or another. Um, but ultimately, this comes back to uh, the point about natural ecosystems. And maybe this is a phrase that isn't widely uh, understood, 
But natural ecosystems are basically able to self-regulate and they're able to adapt to changes. And in Ireland, we don't have natural ecosystems. We've basically destroyed them all. So one of the priorities for us is to, I suppose, A, to get people to understand what that means and why it's a problem, but B, to you know, what are the practical things that we need to do on the ground to restore natural ecosystems and to bring that resilience and health back to our country? Uh, you may have heard the term rewilding and rewilding, I think, is a very exciting and hopeful concept. But the principle of rewilding is um, about letting uh, nature uh, basically restore itself. So people will realize or have noticed if they go away for two weeks and they come back, their grass, uh, their garden looks a bit like a jungle. Um, and basically, if they never cut the grass, uh, most uh, gardens would turn into a forest at some stage. Um, and that applies to our land. And uh, and so restoring natural systems really is about stepping back, giving uh, nature a bit of space, a bit of time. It doesn't necessarily mean doing nothing, because in Ireland we have invasive species. We may have drained the land to such a point that those drains need to be blocked. And I'm thinking in particular about peatlands. But in a lot of cases, particularly in the sea, all we really have to do is nothing. We just have to pull back and uh, stop destroying it. And nature, well, we have to hope nature will, will rebound. But I mean, the evidence suggests that nature has, has a lot of restorative powers. And the advantage to us from having natural systems uh, is manifold. Um, it is our food security. Uh, it is our water supply. It's um, uh, it, 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 is a, it is a buffer against extreme weather events. Natural systems tend to store carbon. So if you have uh, healthy forests or healthy peatlands, they're taking carbon out of the air. Um, and it's it's wonderful for our, our own physical and mental health, which often gets overlooked. But, um, you know, living in a healthy environment where you have good access to outdoors and healthy outdoor spaces and not... Uh, traffic clogged pollution streets or uh, or 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 damaged uh, ecosystems you know uh, has has enormous benefits for people so if our listeners have liked what they've heard Porik, and they want to get involved with the irish wildlife trust um what can they do how can they get involved um, so the best thing you can do is become a member of the Irish Wildlife Trust. Uh, we rely on um, donations and, and individual memberships uh, for to keep us going. So go on to iwt.ie and and join up. It's a relatively small uh, fee, and you get um, you get our magazine and you get to participate in our events. We try to keep most of our events free uh, so that they're accessible, and also we're on social media uh, to follow us what we're doing. So uh, so yeah so. Um, uh, they're the best ways to, to get involved with uh, with our work. Great stuff. And if people just want to maybe change their mindset a bit, live in a more nature-friendly way and reconnect with nature, have you any tips on what the first steps in doing that would be? Yes, the first step is always doing nothing and uh, and, and observing and, and trying to look around wherever it is you live, try to just look around you and engage with what you see and what do you see? Um, you know, do you see places for, for nature or do you see, you know, highly manicured gardens and landscapes and farms where there's no space for nature? And then I think once you see that, then you start to realize not only the trouble we're in, but also that, you know, there are things that we can do about it. And even if you live in an apartment with just a window box, 
you know, the smallest spaces uh, where you can allow nature to thrive um, are of value. Really, a lot of the changes are, are in our own attitudes and our, and our own uh, approach. I do think that um, with all the bad news that we get these days, it's very easy to be despondent and despairing. But we have to remind ourselves that there's an awful lot that we can't do or that we can do and that we can't um, we can't resign ourselves to to despair and doomerism. Uh, We really just have to get on with it as soon as possible. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally agree with that. Um, Porik, thanks, thanks a million for that. I'm sure, or I'm hoping, uh, our listeners found that as uh, as engaging uh, and thought provoking as I did, and uh, and are signing up to the Irish Wildlife Trust. The Irish Wildlife Trust are doing great work, and their magazine, their quarterly magazine, is fantastic. It's worth the subscription just for the magazine. It has lots of great information. Now, also last season, we had a lovely collaboration with Birdwatch Ireland throughout the season. They shared with us some fantastic features about various Irish birds, and we learned a lot from that. They were very popular. But here, Dara spoke to Niall Hatch of Birdwatch Ireland about the work the organisation does and how birds are being affected by climate and biodiversity loss. We often make fun of Dara because we know he's an avid bird watcher and he found when speaking to Niall that he's not the only one. I started off by welcoming Niall to the podcast and explaining that I often thought that Birdwatch Ireland was just a club for bird watchers. Oh, yes, absolutely. Then the name may be a little bit misleading to some people because although bird watchers, many bird watchers are amongst our members, absolutely, and bird watchers certainly very much enjoy being part of it, the idea is that we keep watch on birds, on their populations, and, and on how the, the ebb and flow of, of, of their, their numbers and all of that, and, and do research and, and conservation work into them. We're the largest conservation charity in the country. We have about 15,000 members across the country as well, a network of 20 nature reserves, 30 local branches. We do lots of education work in schools, in local communities lots of scientific research work and species conservation work for threatened birds so and habitats as well so lots going on there certainly what does the work of birdwatch ireland tell us about wider biodiversity and climate issues or how does how does that how does your work feed into that kind of bigger picture I think we can learn a lot about this through the work of my colleagues in, in Birdwatch Ireland. It's very important because we've got to remember that birds are indicator species. They're at the tops of their respective food chains. So when we see changes happening in their populations, it tells us a huge amount about what's happening further down that chain you know, with, with mammals and insects and plants and soil fungi and all of these kind of things that are so important. And the birds are the indicators of that. Also, birds are the most visible form of wildlife that we have. You know, if anyone looks out a window at any moment, it's only a couple of minutes at most before a bird flies past. They're out during the day. There are many different species, so we can learn a lot about them. And so this is a really vital part of this work. And through this, we are without question seeing the impacts of things like climate change, habitat destruction, and so on, on our wild bird populations. And if it's affecting them, we know for sure it must be affecting the uh, the plants and animals that they feed on, so we can tell a lot. Birds are a really good way of connecting people to nature and making them care a bit more about, about the nature we're potentially losing. Oh, absolutely right. And certainly um, since the onset of COVID, we've seen a real spike in interest in this across Ireland. We saw that the hits to the Birdwatch Ireland website go through the roof. We saw an increase in our membership. And uh, in, you know, obviously in very dark days, it has been nice, I suppose, and a bit of a comfort to see people turning more towards nature, realising it has an important role to play in their lives. I think that, I think this is an absolutely crucial part of it. Uh, birds are really accessible. Um, a lot of people out there think, think that they know very little about birds, but all of us can name at least a handful of bird species, even if we're 
just talking about robins and, and, and magpies. At least that's something. And people therefore have more recognition of those than they do of, uh, you know, I suppose of most other um, taxa of plant and animal around the place. So from that point of view, birds are a great gateway. And they're, they're, they're beautiful. They're fascinating as well. And the more you learn about them, the more you realise you have to learn about them because it just never ends. And that's one of the things I really love about it. It also can be enjoyed on so many levels. If people don't want to learn how to put the names to different birds or how to identify them, so be it. The most important thing is to understand that they're amazing creatures in their own rights, but also that their welfare is very much intrinsically tied into our welfare as a species as well and tells us a lot about what's happening to our planet. What campaigns do you have running currently or what projects are, are Birdwatch currently running? Well, there are quite a few. So during the wintertime, one of the most important things we do is our uh, Irish uh, Wetland Bird Survey, or IWEBS for short. This is, is funded by the National Parks and Wildlife Service, and we use that to assess water bird populations all across Ireland. Now, this has been going on uh, since the winter of 1994 and 95, so we have we have years and years worth of data built up there showing what's happening with our, our wintering water bird populations in Ireland. Uh, and unfortunately, that data is showing us that they're in big trouble. Their populations have declined by 40% over the course of, uh, of the, the time we've been studying this so that's that's really really concerning uh, that's that's a loss of hundreds of thousands of individual birds um, so that's a big part of what we do we also um, we're probably quite well known at this point in the winter as well for our um, citizen science work around garden birds so we have a, a wonderful project a uh, survey called the Irish Garden Bird Survey thousands of people across Ireland take part in that on a voluntary basis and send us in their data uh, so that's something that anybody can take part in in terms of species conservation work there's lots going on and we're actually just gearing up now um, for, for the onset of the fieldwork season because it, you know, what happens is a lot of breeding birds in Ireland need a particular lot of help. We have a lot of skill particularly when it comes to uh, seabird conservation. So uh, my colleague Dr Stephen Newton he heads up our tern conservation projects. Uh, the terns are these, these gorgeous migratory seabirds that arrive with us in the summer and nest at various locations around the coast and one of them the roseate tern uh, it's one of Europe's rarest seabirds. Uh, the majority of the European population now breed uh, on Rockabill Island off the coast of North County Dublin where bird and wardens spend the summer monitoring those species, or the, the, the birds are there and making sure that their, their, their nesting conditions are right. We have nest boxes there for them. We make sure that their chicks are getting fed properly and so on. So that, that's what we do there. We're doing a lot of work as well around breeding waders and those long-legged, long-beaked birds that people might associate with mudflats and estuaries where we get lots in the winter. But actually breeding the pop breeding populations of those that we have during the summer are in really dire straits and none more so than the curlew. That's one of the, the most iconic um, animal species in all of Ireland and it's in imminent risk of extinction it's uh, we're predicting that within 10 years it'll go extinct if something isn't done so we're we're um, heavily involved in a project called the the curlew eip it's a european funded project and uh, we're running and trying all sorts of conservation measures to try and improve the breeding success of that bird uh, and also a lot of what we were, were about it's it's habitat conservation too so we have lots of work going on at our nature reserves uh, we do a lot of work um, around wildlife crime we're doing a lot of work at the moment my colleague john lusby in relation to barn owls um, one of our most iconic birds of prey and he's having great success in terms of provision of nesting sites and doing research into the threats that uh, that species faces, such as things like rat poison and so on. So the, you know, the, the sky's the limit, really. We, we do all sorts of things and there's always something going on. Uh, amazing. Yeah, that's a, a great little rundown of some of the stuff that you're doing. So how, how can our listeners get involved with or support the work that you're doing in, at Birdwatch? 
Well, well, there are quite a few ways, thankfully, and and uh, the main way, and the way that we would urge anybody who is uh, who, who is interested in birds or in uh, biodiversity or environmental matters is to become a member of Birdwatch Ireland. As a charity, that support means a huge amount to us. So people can find full details at birdwatchireland.ie. Uh, and there's a membership section on there. You get a lovely magazine called Wings that comes out to you uh, four times a year. There's a children's magazine called Bird Detectives as well uh, that goes to our family and our junior members too. Uh, hope you get sets of posters and a lovely welcome pack when you join. But most importantly, all the money we raise through that membership goes to support that conservation work that we've been discussing. And of course, it's not just about the money. The more members we have, the more clout that gives us when it comes to talking to decision makers and politicians about doing the right things. Uh, also, you can volunteer time uh, for our, our surveys. Um, as I mentioned, the Irish Garden Bird Survey is one annually that uh, a lot of people take part in. We have a lovely uh, migratory one uh, for children and families called Spring Alive, uh, which is due to start um, throughout the spring, runs through the summer. It's monitoring common migrant birds as they arrive in Ireland and indeed all across Europe, uh, Central Asia and Africa. It runs year-round. That's springalive.net is the website for that. We're also currently running a, a species recovery appeal and uh, looking for donations uh, to help with our species recovery work, to help some of Ireland's most threatened bird species and their habitats to recover. Uh, the, the, obviously during COVID, there's been big knock, um, knock-on effect on bird trans finances and, and throughout a lot of the environmental sector. And this is a way to help try and offset some of that and try to restore the balance again. So people can donate to that, um, again, at birdwatcherland.ie. The links are there. You can also take part um, in events run by our local branches around the country. They have between them over 450 free public events throughout the year. They could be indoor talks, outdoor birdwatching walks, dawn chorus mornings, those kind of things. Great way to learn more about birds, to get the whole family involved too. Beginners are always very, very welcome. It's a great way to, to, to get to know other like-minded people. One of the things we often find is that there's a lot of people out there who have a latent interest in birds, but they think that that's unusual or strange and people will laugh at them. You wouldn't, people don't realise actually how many people out there think exactly the same way as they do. Um, so the more people that come along to these events and get involved, the more you'll see there are a lot of kindred spirits out there, just like you, uh, who want to help Ireland's birds and learn more about them. So again, birdwatcherland.ie for all the information about that. As I said, Niall Hatch and Ricky Whelan featured some of Ireland's most iconic birds throughout the Climate Alarm Clock Season 2. One of our most popular features was this one about the hen harrier. Hi Niall, uh, this week our bad news story is about hen harriers, so um, an absolute charismatic bird of prey, they're, they're just absolutely deadly, tell me about them. Uh, absolutely Ricky, one of my favourites and always a joy to see one because it's often quite unexpected, you're out uh, maybe bird watching, even driving along sometime and all of a sudden you see one of these beautiful birds drifting over a field uh, and uh, they're one of the birds where, uh, where male and female are very easy to tell apart because the female, uh, as with most birds of prey, she's a bit bigger than the male, she's a wonderful mottled brown overall with this lovely white patch on her rump just her lower back just before her tail and that's a very good way to tell her apart the male looks like a different species he's this lovely bluish gray bird so pencil gray color um, with um, dark wingtips and both the male and the female they have a very distinctive way of flying you might think of birds of prey as being very fast but harriers tend to fly very slowly their wings sort of held slightly up in a shallow v dr- drifting over a field looking for prey uh, and uh, so it's a species that once have been very common in ireland they do very well traditionally in uplands and in bogland areas any kind of heath or heather cover uh, but again a, a species that's really been coming under pressure for a variety of reasons not least of which is climate change yeah no big time and um 
the the other thing is that you mentioned it mentioned a few weeks back for for curlew is, is forestry as well in our forestation and in our big sort of push to plant trees and everything we need to be careful with our, our actual tree planting policy that we don't push out the likes of, of hen harriers and curlew from our, these habitats and we need to refrain from uh, planting trees on peatland soils which are much better to sort of um, <clears throat> to absorb that carbon uh, sorry that carbon um, instead of just uh, growing trees on them because we think uh, green trees equals sort of uh, carbon benefits and all so we need to be very careful of that and we need uh, some joined up thinking amongst the departments and on our forestry policy not to do that uh, Absolutely Ricky I mean Ireland certainly needs far more trees um, but it's very important that the right species of tree are chosen and crucially the right locations for planting them are chosen and we need more respect for our boglands and in many ways the hen harrier has become a symbol of these threatened habitats uh, that have been underappreciated over the years but of course when we're protecting hen harriers and when these projects like the, the Irish Hen Harrier Survey and the EIP projects when they're happening they're benefiting hen harriers but not just hen harriers birds of prey are apex predators so when you see changes in their population it reflects what's happening to all of their prey species and and the, and the food of their prey species so when we see hen harriers thriving in an area it means that the small bird populations and the insect populations the plant populations are thriving as well so by benefiting hen harriers it's not just for hen harriers it's for a whole ecosystem a whole suite of different species Absolutely. And also another climate thing, um, and it's been happening in my area quite a lot, is uh, fires mm. on the on the sort of on the blanket bogs up in the mountain. Some set deliberately, but some certainly natural as well. And once they get going and because the summers are getting uh, warmer and drier and um, all that sort of stuff, it can wipe out whole uh, hen harrier territories and strongholds in one foul swoop so we need to um we need to sort of pull up our socks there we need to have emergency plans in place we need to have uh, all sorts of sort of land management and ways of dealing with that going forward because these things are going to become more common yes and when a fire happens you know obviously with the, the hen harrier a ground nesting bird again like like the previous species we spoken about the, the curlew and the corn crake um, similar in that respect it, obviously their, their eggs and chicks have no defense or no escape from that fire but not only that once that habitat is burned um it's out of action for for several years at least before it can regenerate and hen harriers require a very large habitat a very large territory uh, because um, they've occurred a very low density and that's one of the the, the main pressures on them as well so let's hope again we can turn the tide for that species and um, make sure that one day hopefully it can thrive again in Ireland absolutely You can find lots more lovely features about Irish birds in earlier episodes all throughout season two So now you can see why we are so passionate about biodiversity here on the Climate Alarm Clock. Let's hope that COP15 in Montreal does make real progress towards establishing a peace pact with nature. Next week, Dara and Kira will be back with me for our usual news roundup, and we might even have a special guest too. Don't forget to like and subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter and Mastodon, at The Climate Alarm and on Facebook and Instagram at Climate Alarm Clock. Thanks for listening and see you next week.